Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 7, and verse 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You may be seated. As you're seated, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we ask for your help today that we would rightly know you, that we might worship you, that we might serve you and others in love, and that we might see you glorified in and through our lives. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, strengthen us, instruct us, teach us, convict us, empower us because we want to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, This morning we are back into our study of 1 Corinthians that we began a year ago. Uh, it's going to be another few months. We, we, we like big books of the Bible and we like going slow. So we're, we're a year into it. We've obviously had some breaks. We haven't looked at it for the last few months. We're jumping, jumping back into it today in chapter 12, um, which really begins a new section of this letter. And we're going to look at chapter 12 over the next five weeks. And then we're going to spend a couple of weeks trying to convince you that 1 Corinthians 13 is not just for weddings. Um, And then we're going to spend a couple more weeks in 1 Corinthians 14, and then we're going to be into the season of Advent where we talk about the incarnation and the life and the death and the resurrection and the return of Jesus. And so that's where we're going to be going. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 deals with the question of spiritual gifts uh, and how they function in the life of the church. And so because that's a huge and very important topic, uh, my goal today is not necessarily to get into the nitty-gritty of everything. It is to sort of set us up for the next number of weeks as we look through chapters 12 and, and 13 and 14. So kind of give us an orientation in this text and then and just introduce a few things today. Um, some of you may have noticed that we skipped over the reading in verses 8 through 10. Uh, it's because I'm going to go through verses 8, 9, and 10 in detail next Sunday. So if you came today already to debate the gift of tongues or something like that, well, alas, you will have to wait another week. Bring your fire next week. We'll be in chapters, uh, chapter 12, verses 8, 9, and 10. That's what we're going to look at. So here's, what, here's how we're going to just kind of break things down today. A bit of an outline that you might be oriented in this orientation sermon. We're going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, our identity as spiritual people, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, our identity as spiritual people, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let's jump in. Let's talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, every, every two years, there are two pretty well-known uh, ministries in the United States, well-trusted, well-respected ministries. And what they do is they partner together and they do a pretty comprehensive survey on theological topics. They ask a number of questions and they ask thousands of people what they think about this. And then they publish those results under what they call the state of theology. And so I was reading that study this week because I'm super fun at dinner parties and stuff like that. Um, yeah, thank you, Sandy. Appreciate that you think that's funny. No one else does. It's nice that I'm loved by one. (laughs) The research that they did in 2022, just this year, and then published it, I was reviewing it, and there's something in it that that 
kind of struck me and stuck out to me. I wanted to share it with you. So, so the methodology that they use um, when they're conducting this survey is that they ask the participants, or they make a statement, and then they ask the participants to rank that in terms of strongly agree, somewhat agree, don't know, somewhat disagree, or strongly disagree. So kind of a one through five, if you can think of it that way. Strongly disagree to strongly agree. There's some in the middle that are going to say they don't know. There's a lot of data to talk about from that survey, but the one I want to bring you today is this. This is the statement. The Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. The Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. Strongly agree, somewhat agree, don't know, somewhat disagree, strongly disagree. 9% of self-identified evangelical Christians said they somewhat agreed with that statement. 51% of self-identified evangelical Christians said they strongly agree with that statement. which means 60% of self-identified evangelical Christians in this study are technically heretics. <laughs> technically. Let me explain. Christianity is a monotheistic faith. We have one God who eternally exists in three persons. We serve a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but one God, who eternally exists in three persons. In the year 325, there was a gathering of some Christian leaders around what we call the Council of Nicaea. And the Council of Nicaea was called to debate the controversy in the church in the fourth century, around whether or not Jesus was fully God or if he was a created being. They were arguing about this, so they called a council. They all got together to talk about whether or not Jesus is fully God or a created being, which, just so you know, is also a statement that they asked in this survey, which has equally depressing results. What they fully affirmed in Nicaea in 325 was that Jesus is God. Hey, we settled that one. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is God. That's why we ended up with what we call the Nicene Creed, which we're actually going to recite together when I'm done preaching. Now, it wasn't the first theological controversy in the broader church that was debated around a council uh, in this manner, and it certainly was not the last. In fact, it didn't take very long before we needed to call another council as the church uh, around what to do with a group of people who did not believe that the Holy Spirit was God. So in 381, 56 years later, there was another council, which we call the Council of Constantinople. And there was this guy whose name who's named Macedonius, which is probably not on your list of baby names for this year. Macedonius argued, and it shouldn't be, I'm just going to go. So, spoiler alert, that's where it's going. Okay. This guy, Macedonius, he argued against the full divinity and the full personality of the Holy Spirit. While the Holy Spirit is distinct from the Father and from the Son, this heresy that we call Macedonianism argues that the Holy Spirit was not of the same essence or substance as the Father and the Son and that the Holy Spirit was not God. Okay, the technical name of this heresy translates to opponents of the Spirit. They were fighting against the biblical teaching that the Holy Spirit is God. And the way the Macedonian heresy went is kind of like if you've seen Star Wars, the Force. 
that's really kind of what they thought. There was God the Father and God the Son and then some sort of impersonal force in the world. You know, the force is strong with this one. If your view of the Holy Spirit is more like Star Wars The Force, you've been discipled more by George Lucas than the scriptures. That, that's, what, that's what they're saying. And, and this is actually really interesting because the basic argument they had in 381 is the same survey statement in 2022 that said the Holy Spirit is a force but is not a personal being. And this was denounced as heresy at 381 AD at this council in Constantinople. And it was actually such a big deal that the council members decided we need to update the Nicene Creed to include a little more about the Holy Spirit being God. We need an explicit statement about this, affirming that he is God. Now you sit here and go, my gosh, I did not need a history lesson. Why is he on about this? I'll tell you I'm on about this because 60% of self-identified evangelicals in a survey agreed that the Holy Spirit is a force but is not a personal being. And that's a 1700-year-old heresy. We don't want to be those people. We might be confused about the Trinity. Right? Have you ever talked to somebody who's like, I've got it completely figured out? They're lying. But some of the like ABC list of Trinitarian heresies are the Holy Spirit's not God. It's on that list of easy ones. We need to know this. We need to embrace this. I want to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk for weeks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the life of the church. But the first place we need to begin here is to all agree on the nature and character of God as revealed in Scripture. See, old heresies have a, a strong way of lingering in environments so where we're not exceptionally clear about what the Bible says. So we want to knock those out, push those along. We want to be taught well about who God is from the Scriptures. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit's a person. I've just argued this. And I want you to know that all that comes from Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4 says he grieves. Romans 8 says he intercedes for us and has a mind. John 16 says he testifies. Mark 13 says he speaks. Genesis 1 and Luke chapter 1 say he creates. Mark chapter 3 says he can be blasphemed because he's God. The clearest teaching of Jesus on the Holy Spirit is found in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. When Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going away into death, he told his disciples that it was for their benefit because he was going to then send a helper. Verse 7 in John chapter 16 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And this is the Holy Spirit. He is all God. He exercises all of the rights of God. He merits all worship, all love, all obedience. He's a person. He has personal attributes. He is distinct from the Father and the Son, yet is submitted in unity and relationship with the Father and the Son. He has a will. He has intelligence. He has feeling. He has knowledge. Sympathy. He has the ability to love and to see and to think and to hear and to speak and to desire and grieve and rejoice. He's the Holy Spirit. And what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to focus in on the way that he gifts us in a moment. But we just need to know that John's gospel teaches us that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness and coming judgment. That John chapter 3 says he awakens us to our need for salvation where he converts us and we are born again. 
Romans chapter 8 says the Holy Spirit applies the fullness of our redemption in Christ through what Jesus did upon the cross and in his resurrection that is applied to our life as the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ. John chapter 16 says the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Galatians chapter 5 talks about how the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. He makes us holy. He produces in our lives what we call the fruit of the Spirit. And in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, We are seated with the promised, or we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is some of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's just a taste of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but I need to move on because I want to talk about our identity as spiritual people, the second thing we want to look at our identity as spiritual people. I want you to note something here that's vital for our understanding and our practice of our spirituality as Christians. It's just as important in our context to understand this as it was in Paul's context when he wrote this letter to the Church of God in Corinth in, uh, you know, 1,968 years ago. It's just as relevant for us in this moment as it was to them. See, when I'm talking about our identity as spiritual people, I'm talking about our identity as capital S spiritual people. Not a vague general spirituality, but a specific kind of spirituality, a Holy Spirit spirituality. I'm talking about being the Holy Spirit's people. See, Vancouver as a city is filled with small s spiritual people, just like every city around the world. But I mean something very specific when I say we are spiritual people. Now, you you might not be a follower of Jesus, And you might fit into a category of people who like to say that they are spiritual but not religious. And I I understand that. I, too, was a spiritual but not religious person before I became a Christian. But I want you to see the difference between small s spirituality and what I'm talking about with Christian capital S spirituality. Look at the text in verses 1 to 3. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the Spirit of God, that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Just look at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts. I do not want you to be uninformed. He says, now concerning in this text, he's alluding to the fact that Paul, and I'm just a reminder from a year ago, that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth as a response to a letter that he received from them. So he's systematically answering the questions that they asked. And so he begins a new section, now concerning spiritual gifts. He's responding to the questions that they have had. He wants them to know what's going on with the gifts, but there's something he goes to first so that they understand the mark of their identity as capital S spiritual people. Look at verse two. It says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. He's reminding them that before they were followers of Jesus, when they still worshipped idols, when they saw small s spiritual goings on in their different cults and communities, he wants them to know that the small s spiritual powers that they have seen at work are drastically different than the new community that they are now a part of as followers of Jesus. It's totally different. 
There's one litmus test that Paul uses to help the Corinthians identify true spirituality. Capital S spirituality. The litmus test that he uses is what are you going to do with Jesus? What do you say about Jesus? He says, if somebody curses Jesus, it is not in the Holy Spirit, even if they have great spiritual power. He says, if someone says Jesus is Lord, that's in the Holy Spirit, even if they don't appear to have great spiritual power. The litmus test is not in the power that they wield in some kind of strange way. The litmus test is, what are you going to say about Jesus? The mark of being a capital S spiritual person is what you do with Jesus. Now, Paul does not mean some, you know, someone necessarily needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to utter the words, Jesus is Lord. Anybody who can form words in the English language can say it just like this. They can say, Jesus is Lord. That's not what he's talking about. What he means is that it's impossible to keep a consistent public witness to your faith in Christ in a hostile world apart from the abiding work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's not just something you say one time, it's something you live into for all your days. And no one can say Jesus is Lord and live that out apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson, he said, to be able to confess that the Jesus of the incarnation, cross, and resurrection is truly the Lord, especially in the face of a society that has Lords aplenty, already attests the powerful transforming work of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like the Corinthians were just complete atheists and just hanging out in Corinth, waiting for the day when somebody would please come and explain who God was. They had temples all over the place. They had cult worship practices that they gave themselves to. There would have been nobody there, really, who would say that they were an atheist. The world was just sort of spiritually infused. It wasn't like they were waiting for a Lord. As Carson says, they had lords aplenty. So when you declared that Jesus was the one exclusive Lord, you needed the power of the Holy Spirit to walk that out in your life. So we looked at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now we're talking about our identity as spiritual people. Um, What I want to do is just try and connect the dots on those two ideas. Ministry of the Holy Spirit and our identity as spiritual people. This is what Jesus says is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in John 16. And this is what I think Paul is saying to the church in Corinth about uh, us understanding ourselves and our identity as spiritual people. John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus is talking. He says, when the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, called him earlier the Helper, And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Hear me. The work of the Holy Spirit is primarily evidenced in your life when you glorify Jesus, because that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say it again, because some of you don't look like you heard it. Some of us come in here terrified about a conversation with the Holy Spirit because of your background. You might come from a background where it was painfully mistaught, Or you might come from a background where, honestly, your functional trinity growing up was Father, Son, and Holy Bible. You're just terrified to talk about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit seems weird. The Father, I can kind of understand. Jesus was the man. You can understand him. The Holy Spirit's strange. You might say he's more like a force. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) 
Some of you are terrified of this, and that's okay. We just need to open the Bible and see what the scriptures teach about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is primarily evidenced in your life in the way that you glorify Jesus because that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Right? We're going to go on. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We just, you can't do that until you talk about the gift of the Spirit. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, plural. But you cannot do that until you talk about the singular gift of the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, Peter was preaching the gospel to a large assembled crowd. And Jesus' disciple Peter preached that Jesus was the long-awaited fulfillment of all of their hopes for salvation. It says in Acts chapter 2, he's preaching to them. And he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what did we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. So the work of Jesus was to humbly lay his life down, his perfect life down in obedience to the Father, empowered by the Spirit, to lay his perfectly lived life down and to die a death that he did not deserve to die so that we could participate in his perfection and thereby have our sins forgiven. He died in our place and for our sins and now we can be forgiven. That's Jesus' work. And see, when we glorify Jesus, we recognize the work he did for us that we could not do for ourselves. And the gospel in this sense, the good news that God saves sinners like you and me, the good news of the gospel in this sense is the answer to our problem for sin and the waywardness of our heart. It is. But I also want you to know that the gospel then becomes our motivation for how we live our lives to bring him glory. It's both. You can't just preach that the gospel is the answer to sin without preaching that the gospel is the motivation to live for God. And we can only do that when we've repented of sin and we've turned away from all of our small s spiritualities and we've put them all aside and we've turned to Christ and we've received the gift of the capital S Holy Spirit. True Christian spirituality is motivated by the gospel of Jesus and it's motivated by his kingdom coming in Vancouver as it is in heaven and it is empowered by the Spirit. David Pryor is a commentator on 1 Corinthians. He said, this burning desire of the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus is Paul's overall criterion of genuineness in the matter of spirituality. What he's saying is, is if you're truly spiritual, you won't be on about the strengths of your your gifts. You'll be on about the lordship of Christ. Like, I want to know what spiritual gifts God has given you. We're going to talk about this next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. I want to know them. But if you come to me all about, I have this gift. If I come to you and I say, I have this gift. The evidence that that's true is your acknowledgement of the Lordship of Christ in your life. It might be true. Probably is true. But the way you evidence that to the rest of the community around you is by an understanding of the Lordship of Christ. 
You'll be quietly living into the gospel and seeing the values of the kingdom of God just breaking into your midst. It's beautiful. Leslie Newbegin was a missionary and a scholar, and he said the work of the Spirit does not lead past or beyond or away from Jesus. True capital S spirituality is anchored to, it's, it's tethered to, glorifying Jesus in every area of your life. I love the gifts of the Spirit. I love the spirituality of Christianity. I take long walks talking out loud to God. I just wear headphones so people don't think I'm escaping some kind of institution. <laughs> now you put your headphones in, it looks like you're talking on the phone. It's awesome. Biblical spirituality is not just about me and my gifts, and it's not just about you and your gifts. David Pryor, again, to quote him, he says, to be truly spiritual drives a person neither to ecstasy nor to individualism nor to otherworldliness, but into the life of the local church as an expression of his personal commitment to Jesus as Lord and to his body here on earth. It is there that the implications of what it is to be spiritual, men and women of the Spirit, will be worked out. We've talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've talked a little bit about our identity as capital S, spiritual people. Let's talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I really want you to see that all who truly confess Jesus as Lord do so out of the power of the Spirit. So I just want us to embrace the truth that we see in the text. All are filled with the Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about this next week. But there is no secondary designation. There is no sort of first-class Christian who are the Spirit-filled type and then the non-Spirit-filled Christians. That's just a teaching that is not found in the Scriptures. I'm going to talk about it next week. If you're a Christian, you confess that Jesus is Lord and you seek to live that out daily in your life, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you be more full? Yes. Can you be less full? Probably. But you're filled. So we'll talk about that next week. But we start today with why. And then next week we get into what and then we get into how. But today is why. Why the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, walk, walk through this text with me because it's really beautiful. I think it's compelling. It says there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. It says there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And as followers of Jesus, we receive varieties of gifts and services that we can share with the community and activities, all from the same spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. The unity, the unity of God as Trinity. It says God, Lord, and Spirit in this text. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The unity of God is beautifully expressed in the diversity of gifts and services and activities that he gives us. We see the shape of of the Trinitarian way that God empowers us to serve him and his people and the world around us. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, 
varieties of activities. The unity of a creative God does not yield boring uniformity. Right? Boring uniformity, as one scholar said, is for dictators who make everybody dress in beige. All right? And if you come in here in all beige, like beige shoes, beige pants, beige shirt, you're going to look real good. Honestly, that's a great outfit. I like that. That's on point. But if everyone wears beige pants all the time, people think you're in a cult. Okay? It's not uniformity. We're unified. We have unity, but we don't have uniformity. Right? So though you may notice that Andreas, who's also on staff here as director of media, is also wearing this exact jacket today. Okay? We don't believe in uniformity around here. He's not wearing that because we made him. It's a personal choice. We have unity in God, but not uniformity. That would be boring. And the creative God who made everything we can experience in life, he has not, he has not created us to be uniformly boring. The unity of a creative God yields beautiful diversity in the life of his people. It talks about gifts. We'll talk about those. It talks about acts of service. This is the way we care for each other. Varieties of activities. This is the energizing work of the Spirit through his capital S spiritual people, the church. They're all manifestations of the Spirit, which just means God's power is being put on display through all this diverse beauty. Look at the point of it all. Look at this is the why of the text. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, don't get hung up on the word manifestation just because some crazy folks like to use that word all the time. If, if you have, like, you know, a particular spiritual gift that you think is nice and quiet and is not just big and loud, that is a manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. Manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit is not running around just insane in some sort of ecstatic, prophetic trance. It might be. We'll talk about that next week. It might be. But that doesn't mean that that's the only kind of thing we call a manifestation of the Spirit. Honestly, when you learn your neighbor's name and love them and share your gift of hospitality with them, that is a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There are a ton of gifts of the Spirit in the Scriptures, and they are not more than examples. It's not a closed list. Just examples of all the different gifts that we see in the world in and through you who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're all manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. The gifts of the Spirit are not a platform for performance. They are an empowered means of serving one another and our world. Okay, I love this. It says to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Listen, this is why it matters. To each. And you go, hmm, me? I don't, yes. <laughs> yes. Like some of you came in here going like, I am gifted, put on my jacket today, and I got the gifts of the Spirit. and excited to be in 1 Corinthians 12, and you just woke up super stoked about this. I know people like that. I'm kind of one of them, but I know people who came in really excited about it. Okay? But I know others of you who go, I have nothing to offer. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Because the Scripture says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everyone has something. No one has everything. And your gift is always for the good of someone else. There is no one walking around who has all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
So you can put that one to bed as your goal. You're like, my goal is to exercise all nine of the gifts of the Spirit. I see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8, 9, and 10 that Brett's going to go through next week. I'd like to exercise. You don't have them. Or you wouldn't need anyone else, would you? To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everyone has something. No one has everything. And your gift is always for the good of someone else. Oh, I love it. We are not independent people. We are spirit-dependent people. And as spirit-dependent people, we are always interdependent on one another so that we can experience the fullness of God. We're not independent. We are spirit-dependent. And in our spirit-dependency, we become an interdependent body of Christians who function together that we might experience the fullness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. Someone else needs you way too much for you to try and do this on your own. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I was at the Christ City East Vancouver offices, the place where they rent an office last week. And just outside their office door, there's this giant tile mosaic on the wall. Each piece is different. Each one. But it's all part of the same picture. And without each one, the art would not be as beautiful. And the bigger picture would not be clear. If you went in there and removed a whole bunch of the pieces and put them over in a jar on the floor and said, we don't really need these, they probably have nothing to offer, the picture would be like an incoherent jigsaw puzzle in front of you. You wouldn't be able to tell what it is. Every piece contributes to the beauty and every piece contributes to the clarity of the entire whole. And that's what I see when I look out upon you today. God is seen to be more clearly visible and more clearly beautiful when we all bring our varied spirit-empowered gifts and service and activities for one another, all for the glory of God. God the Holy Spirit sovereignly apportions the gifts as he wills. No one is excluded. All are included. No one has nothing. And all have something. The way that our band leads us. I experience something of the fullness of God when musicians lead us in song. I myself am tone deaf and horrible to stand next to. I wish I had a spiritual gift like Allison when she leads me in worship. I wish I could sing like her. The reality is, in my mind, I kind of do. (laughs) And then when I stand next to other people, they're like, bro, (laughs) volume down. That is not a gift you're bringing to the body. That's not my gift. The closest thing I've ever come to being a part of the band was last week when uh, Maria's bass was missing the, the, I don't even know what it's called, the thing the cord plugs into, the pickup, I think. 
maybe. Okay, I fixed it though, I fixed it. It's the closest I've ever been. With, like I used tools, which is also not my spiritual gift, and I fixed it, and now I felt like I was part of the band. It's the closest I've ever been. Some of you would never stand here and talk willingly, ever. The, the reality is, and I've read this in a lot of different places, the research says public speaking, people are more afraid of public speaking than they are death. <laughs> which is funny, because I'm like, this is awesome, because I feel very gifted to do it. Before I got saved, I, I wasn't really gifted to do it. Before I was a Christian, I never felt called to do it. I did it on occasion a couple of times, but it, It took some prodding. But I believe I can bring something. And I believe you can bring something. And together, we're all little tiles on this beautiful mosaic that God is building. And if you're not engaged in it, God appears less beautiful and less clear to see. And that's really our task, is to bring him glory. Here's our call. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. Paul, the same apostle who's writing to the church in Corinth, is writing to his young disciple, uh, Timothy. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Paul's writing to Timothy. It's his, his beloved son in the faith, it says. And he says, Fan the gift of God in you. Fan it into flames. Maybe you let the fire grow dormant in your heart. You know that maybe in the past God's used you in some particular ways and right now you just don't feel like it. You've lost your confidence in it. You haven't nurtured those gifts. I don't know what the case might be. Whatever it is. Can I just say maybe this is our call today? To fan into flame the gift of God in you. Maybe today is the day you ask the Holy Spirit to refire the gifts he's given you because at the end of the day, we all need you to be who God has called you to be so that we can flourish as a community. I'm excited to talk about this for the next few weeks. Would you stand with me as we respond today?